Christ the blessed one gives to all. Wonderful words of life, sinless to the loving call. Wonderful words of life, all so freely given, wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel, gospel call. Wonderful words of life. pardon and peace to all. Wonderful words of Isn't that terrific? I like that. That's beautiful. Have you noticed how much older the men are in that group than the girls? Uh, oh, that, your voice just takes longer to mature, I guess. Uh, oh, that's beautiful. I'd like for that to be done some Sunday morning. Wouldn't you all like to hear that some Sunday morning? Excellent, excellent. <coughs> I want to take uh, a few moments to emphasize that next Sunday night, next Sunday night will be our mission emphasis, and uh, are we going to meet in the gymnasium? Is that right? Uh, I believe that that's the case. That's but I mean, we eat down there, and then we come here for the service. Okay, thank you. Okay. Martha and I have been asked uh, to be the program next uh, Sunday evening and to talk about our own experience in missions, not only missions as we've experienced through the life of this church, which has been incredible as we look back on it and think about it, but in terms of our whole life as a mission. And I hope you'll be here next uh, Sunday night. We're emphasizing our Christmas offering uh, for foreign missions, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions. You'll be hearing about that. You'll be reading about that. I hope you'll be giving to that. And a good way to be a part of that is to be here Sunday night.
for the banquet uh, time. It's always a great time of fellowship and then to come here for the service and emphasize in a very special way our mission as Christians in the world and our mission as a church and uh, our commission from the Lord to be witnesses even to the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, December the 8th and 9th, Martha and I have been invited to uh, participate in a reunion of a sort. 37 years ago this year, the youth revival movement exploded in the campus of Baylor University. I came back from the service, came there just at the time when God was doing some incredible things in the lives of uh, some students, and the Lord used uh, that experience or that opportunity, that association, uh, to change the direction of my own life in many ways, certainly to change the vocational direction of my life. And we began to preach all over the state of Texas, preached here in San Antonio, and some of you are old enough to remember that. Some great services down in the Sunken Garden Theater filling the place and crowds of 15,000 and other places over the state. It's where I first met Dan McClendon out in Odessa, Texas. First met a lot of people then. It was an incredible time. And they're asking all of us who were a part of that first group that first year to come to Baylor to meet with uh, BSU secretaries, uh, campus BSU secretaries from all over the state of Texas and to talk about what God is doing now and what God may be doing in terms of uh, another time of re revival and awakening on the uh, college campuses of America 37 years ago. Martha was a part of that. We were not married at the time. That's really, in a way, kind of how we met. We were on the same youth revival team at, at uh, times, and, and uh, out of that association and out of uh, the background of uh, association in Dallas, uh, the Lord led us into not only to Christian work, but led us together into Christian work. And so it's a very meaningful time. And this Thanksgiving season, I was sitting here while we were singing about grace, Tommy, and I just amen what you said about it. None of us would be here without the grace of God. I mean, not one of us. Can you, there's no way you and I can begin to imagine what we would be tonight or where we would be tonight had it not been for the grace of God coming into our lives. And I just thank him for those serendipity experiences that he brought into my life along the way. Coming to Baylor at that time. and uh, You see, I believe all that's planned. I believe every man's life is a plan of God. And the, the problem is not the plan, but our response to that plan. And if we're willing to respond to God's leadership and blessing in our lives, uh, we can know the, the best possible life. And I just want to give a testimony to the Lord. I just want to thank him. Uh, for what he has done in my life and in the life of our family and the privilege of being a part of this church family. It really underlines what I want to speak about for a few moments tonight on guaranteed or your life back. This is a season when you're going to be reading and hearing more advertising than any other time of the year. Could you even find the news in the newspaper today for all of the ads in there? I, I mean, they were up to the ceiling before I finally found the editorial page, hoping to find... Uh, something there that wasn't an ad, but just packed with it. That's okay. I'm all for it. I'm glad we live in a land where you can uh, advertise. One of the things you notice, one of the first things you notice when you go to Eastern Europe is you don't see any display advertising, not any. 
I mean, you don't see any billboards, and I hear people in America complaining about billboards and complaining about signs. And you can go to Eastern Europe, and they don't have any of that there because they don't allow any kind of private ownership. They don't allow any kind of competition economically. And so I'll take our signs to have the benefits that come from living in an in a economically free nation. But uh, you can turn it off. You know, I had a woman call the office the other day. She was all upset about some things on television. She left word with Mary Ann, Mary Ann to ask me what she could do about what's on television. Mary Ann asked me, I said, just tell her to turn it off. <laughs> That's about all you can do. You can write some letters and you can call the station and that sort of thing. But if, if it really bothers you, just turn it off. So you can turn off the advertising, but you're going to hear all sorts of things pitches and promotions in the next few weeks leading up to Christmas and that's okay and you're going to buy a lot of stuff and you're going to fall for some of those ads and some of them are going to deliver and some of them are not. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about an advertisement that you can count on. I mean you can bet your life on. Preached on the same passage of scripture this morning for it comes from that and I want to pick up on that from a different perspective and then add a word that we did not have time to touch on this morning. Second Peter, first chapter, turn to it if you have your Bibles with you. Third verse, same as we talked about this morning. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises. Now here come the promises. Here comes the guarantee so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through destructive passions. The Lord has made you some promises, made me some promises, and he has said to us that if we will accept these promises of his, if we will accept his guarantee, we will become partakers of the divine nature now that is an incredible phrase. I hope that you'll let some phrases in the scripture just kind of set your mind to spinning on all of the consequences that means to our daily living. Think of what it means to be a partaker of the nature of God. To think that I can take into my mind, into my spirit, into my attitudes, into my relationships, the nature of of the eternal God. You talk about needing power to deal with life's pressures, that's where you get it. You and I talk about the need for patience to deal with life's stresses, that's where we get it. Where we need forgiveness for others, he's where we get it. That is not indigenous to our nature. It is indigenous to the divine nature. And it is when we become partakers of the divine nature and his mind and his spirit and his attitudes begin to rub off on our mind and our spirit and our attitude that we begin to be forgiving and understanding and encouraging and positive and loving and powerful in dealing with the problems of life. To be a participant in the divine nature. That's something. And God has promised that that can be ours. 
We can become participants in the divine nature and we can escape the corruption that is in the world through destructive passions. William James once said, much would I give for a constructive passion of some sort. William James, you need to meet Jesus Christ. He'll give you, as he will everybody, a constructive passion. God has promised so many things. Again, I underline the word I mentioned this morning about reading the New Testament through in the next year. You could read it much less than that, but uh, set some goals for yourself that are attainable, and you can certainly read the New Testament through in the first three months of 1984. And read it through just with one, one little cubbyhole back there in the corner of your mind where you are going to remember all of the promises you, you read in the Scripture. Maybe you just take a different colored pen and, and, and read through your New Testament and just underline the promises. And then you can go back through your New Testament without reading all of it and you can look for that special color pen that you use and you can find those promises. And I tell you, it'll help you every day to just read one. If you don't have time to read three chapters before you go to work on a, on a Monday morning, you can read one of those promises and you can kind of pin it up there on uh, uh, the uh, refrigerator door of your mind and uh, you can think of it every time you go there. The promises of God. He promises so many things. He promises to strengthen and to help our hearts and our lives in the time of sorrow, in the time of stress. He promises to forgive us of our sin and to save us, to save us. We know that. You've heard that message of salvation. I doubt if there's a person here tonight who's not heard this kind of message a thousand times in your life and you've believed it and you could stand up here and preach it better than I. You could talk about the fact that Jesus Christ promises to forgive us, that he promises to give us grace greater than our sin, that he promises to be with us in the stressful times of life, that he promises to do all of those things. And we just say amen. That is terrific, and that is right, and that is basic, fundamental salvation gospel. But look, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. And I want to go on for just a few moments, and I'd like for you to look at it, how Simon Peter, under the inspiration of the Scripture, continues, because you and I, I'm going to assume something here that may be erroneous, but for a moment, I'm going to assume that everybody here tonight has accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. That everyone here is a partaker of the divine nature. Everyone here believes the promise of God that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. That everyone here believes that we can escape the corruption, the destruction that is in the world through destructive passions. We all believe that and say amen. I'm going to assume for a moment that everybody here has that experience. That may be true. I do not know. Only you and God will know in your own heart what that, uh, that, whether that statement is true or not. But I'm going to assume that for a minute. Now I want to show you something. And you have seen it and I just want to, I feel impressed to underline it tonight. When that happens, we are going to go to heaven. We are going to be saved. Our sins are all forgiven. We are going to spend eternity with God. That's marvelous, terrific, wonderful. 
But that's not all God wants to do with us right here, right now, tonight and tomorrow. Listen to the consequences. For this reason, he says, for this very reason, he underlines it. What reason? The reason, the reason that you and I have believed the promise. The reason that you and I have become partakers of the divine nature. By reason of the fact that we are escaping the corruption that's in the world through destructive passion. Because of these reasons. Wrapped up in one person, Jesus Christ. The reason for our new life. Because of this very reason. Now it's time for you to go to work and for me to go to work. Make every effort. Salvation is by grace, a free gift. It comes into our hearts and into our lives. But the moment you and I become believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are, as I read this morning from second uh, chapter of Philippians, let me read it again to you tonight, we are to begin the process, the effort of working out our salvation. That's what Paul says in Philippians. Talking about Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. Second chapter. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance in actual fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to notice this is a marvelous statement here. Here Paul is saying this is what Jesus Christ did. The divine nature took upon him human nature so that our human nature could take upon divine nature. He identified himself with us so we could be identified with him. He became like us so we could become like him. All of this Jesus Christ did. And the first therefore on the basis of what Christ did, the first therefore applies to God. Therefore God exalted him. God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In a response, as a consequence to the work of Jesus Christ, there is a therefore for God. On the basis of what Christ did, God does something. Therefore, God does something. Therefore, verse 12, you do something. There's another therefore. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, you're already a Christian, you know this, you believe this, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not only when the pastor is there, not only when the Sunday school teacher is there, not only when your parents are there, not only when someone you're self-conscious about is there looking over your life, not only when somebody is there, but now much more in my, my absence. In other words, because you're accepting some spiritual maturity for yourself, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work it out. He didn't say you work for it. You can't work it in. 
God puts it in, you work it out. Salvation is a gift. God puts it into our hearts by faith, and that not of ourselves, the gift of God. It becomes then our, therefore, to work it out. Go to work at this. I mean, God started doing something because of what Jesus Christ did. You start doing something because of what Jesus Christ has done. You continue, not just spasmodically, not just every now and then, not just when you feel like it. Stay with it. Continue to work out. Work it out. Work it out. Work it outside your life. Work it out of your heart into your life. Work it out of your heart into your mind. Work it out of your spirit into your hands, into your relationships, into your vocabulary, into your business practices, into your date life, everything. Let it work its way out into your life. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means taking it seriously. With awe, standing in awe at what God has done and what God has given us. Look how God exalted in the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God highly exalted him, gave him a name which is above every name that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow, things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. Amen, God says. God just gives a huge amen, and he says, you do the same thing. Take it seriously. Work it out with, with fear and trembling. Not because you're going to go to hell, but because you're not. Because of what God has given you. Take it seriously. This is no trinket. This is life. Cherish it. Nourish it. Feed it. Encourage it. For it is God who works in you. Look at that. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It is God who works in me and works in you to get us to will, in other words, to choose, to choose and to act, to make decisions and then carry them out in life to make decisions with our mind about what's right and then to do it, to will and to act according to God's good pleasure. How do we know what God's good pleasure is? Well, he's inside of us working it out. We know what it is. Most of us know what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. Most of us don't really need a whole lot more information about the kind of life we ought to be living. We need the will to to act, to will it and to do it, that which is, is his good pleasure. For this very reason, Peter continues back in Second Peter, first chapter, for this very reason, make every effort, take it seriously, like Paul wrote in Philippians, to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brother kindness. Brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. We often quote Paul in, Gal in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the fruit of the Spirit, 
We quote it much more than we do Simon Peter, but I want you to read, or let me read to you and hear the similarity. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Fifth chapter, 22nd verse, if you want to make a note or see it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit if you take the work of the Spirit seriously. There's nothing automatic about quality in anything. Nothing. There are no shortcuts to quality. Take some effort. Oh, I know some people have more talent in some areas than other people do. But I've met a lot of people that the world would consider successful, just like many of you have. And when you get to know people up close, you may look at their life at a distance and you think, boy, they just came equipped with all of those talents and all of those abilities and all of those attributes, and it was just easy for them. I want you to know something. The people that I know that the world would look at sometimes enviously and pronounce them a success, all of them that I know work at it. They work at it. I remember Dr. R.G. Lee. He and I were good friends. Dr. Lee preached in this church. Um, Oh, goodness, I'd been here, what, a couple of years, Martha, when, when Dr. Lee came. I, I know it was when Mike and Steve were young because how many of you know who I'm talking about when I say Dr. Robert G. Lee? Who, you heard him preach that famous sermon, Payday Someday. Let me tell you two quick asides about uh, Payday Someday and about Dr. Lee. I took, uh, I studied English at Baylor, you know, I majored in English and majored really in Dr. A.J. Armstrong, who was the English professor there, and uh, the greatest Browning scholar that has ever lived, and one of the greatest people that ever lived. Well, Dr. Armstrong was a character. I mean a real character. You remember the old movie Goodbye, Mr. Chips? He was like Mr. Chips. He was something else. He'd get mad at me. He'd call me Buster and pull my hair. He'd say, Buster, go to work. And... Uh, he, he loved great preaching, and uh, he had heard Dr. Lee's sermon on Payday Sunday, and he had had someone transcribe it and had gotten Dr. Lee, Lee's permission to do it. So he said, I want this sermon to be preached in my classes because of the literary qualities in it. And it was, it was filled with great literary ability and quality. So Dr. Lee gave that sermon to me, and he said, now, Buster, I want you to memorize this sermon. And I want you to work hard at it. Now, you can have the manuscript there in front of you, but I don't want you to read it. I want you to try to preach it like Dr. Lee preached it. It takes about an hour to preach it. So one entire class period. I took that, and I had about a month to work on it. And I worked and worked and practiced and practiced, and it was a lot of fun to do. And uh, my two roommates were both in that class, Jack Robinson and Browning Ware class of about 50 or 60 people. So I got up there 
And boy, I started off on payday Sunday. I introduced to you Nabob. And he just goes right on through for an hour. Marvelous sermon. When I finished, Dr. Armstrong was very polite, said, you did well, Buster. Proud of you. I said, Dr. Lee, could I, uh, could I make one request, please? And he said, I guess so. What is it? And I said, uh, I wonder if it'd be possible for me to give an invitation now because both of my roommates are under conviction and I don't know any two people that need to make a decision more than right now, than these two guys. He didn't think that was at all funny. But we had Dr. Lee here to preach, and, and Mike never did get his name just right. Mike was about four or five at the time, and the man's name was Dr. R.G. Lee. And all week long, with him preaching out there in the garden chapel, and one night he preached payday Sunday, Mike was calling him Dr. Orgy Lee. <laughs> I'd take him aside and say, Mike, it's R.G. Lee. Well, he didn't get Dr. Orgy? Dr. R.G. Lee. Well, he was a furthest thing from that from any man I've, I've ever known. Dr. Lee used to say, you know, preachers come to me and I hear people talking and I hear letters sometimes written between pastors and they say, Dr. Lee, the reason he can preach sermons like that is because he's got a photographic mind. He said, I don't have a photographic mind. He said, they have no idea how hard I work. If you work hard at your business, and should, if you work hard at family life, and you should, if you, if you work hard at relationships, and you should, you and I need to work hard on the business of growing in grace. There's nothing automatic about it. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Well, I didn't think we needed to have any additional part of our life. I mean, just faith alone is all it takes to save you. That's right. That'll get you to heaven. That's right. But God wants to do more than that. He wants to bring some heaven to your life. You can go out there and buy an old stripped-down, run-down, ramshackle automobile. You can go out to John Newell's and pick up one tomorrow, and it'll run. It'll get you from here home. No windows in it, no doors, no hood, no trunk, barely have a motor. No air conditioning, no accessories, no radio, no heater, no air conditioning. Right, it'll get you home. Well, I tell you, God wants his people to travel in style. He wants to give you the basic ingredient of faith. He wants to put it on a firm chassis. And then he wants to go to work through your efforts and just pour all kind of accessories into your life. He wants his people to live first-class lives. Not just barely make it, but make it. You need to work at that. Nothing automatic about it. Add to your faith goodness. You've heard me say this before. 
bears repeating, the little girl who prayed, Dear God, make all of the bad people good and all of the good people nice. Well, if you know Jesus Christ, he's making all of the bad people good. I'm assuming everybody here tonight, by God's definition of salvation, faith in Christ, you're good. But God isn't through with us. He doesn't want me just to have that faith that will take me to heaven. He wants me to have that kind of grace that will bring real quality into my life. And he wants the same thing for you. It doesn't cost you anything except some effort and commitment and time and concentration. Add to your faith goodness. Dear God, make all the bad people good and all the good people nice. Goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. That's why you ought to be in Bible study on Sunday morning. That's why you ought to read your Bible. That's why you ought to be reading some literature that has some meat in it in terms of your own spiritual life. Why, some Christians I know, if they didn't feed their bodies any more than they feed their souls, we'd have to wheel them in here on a pallet. And they wonder why they're spiritually weak. And they wonder why they're susceptible to all kinds of diseases. And they wonder why they don't have any strength to resist temptation. Well, they never feed themselves. One or two services on Sunday is not enough. Any more than one or two meals on Sunday is going to carry you till next week. You need something every day. Add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge. Feed your spiritual life some meat and potatoes. Not just milk. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. you begin to put all of these things together it becomes like a magnificent necklace of jewels all of these fruits of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians and that Peter is referring to here all come in a cluster it's not that well I'm just going to work at goodness because I think I have a little more inclination in that direction and I'm going to work at knowledge but that's self control business I'm not going to mess with that and the perseverance no I'm not that kind of person and brotherly kindness, if there's one person I can't be kind to, it's my brother, and so I'm not going to mess with that. But I am going to concentrate upon love because Paul says that the greatest of these is love. I'm going to kind of pick my, my uh, accessories. No, 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 it doesn't come that way. If you get one, the others come too. And the strength of one adds to the strength of the other. These all hang together as a part of the same necklace of Christian grace. Or if you possess these qualities, listen to me. If you possess these qualities, and you have them embryonically and potentially we all do because we have Christ's spirit within us. They are all there waiting to grow and to be fed and to mature. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, to continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that's what he says here. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective. Well, isn't that terrific? You want to stop being ineffective? I do. If you possess these qualities in increasing capacity, 
increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. He doesn't say he's lost. He doesn't say he's going to go to hell, that he's not going to go to heaven. He just can't see things. He's nearsighted. Things are all blurred. Has trouble making decisions. Has trouble clarifying things. He's nearsighted and blind. He stumbles along. He's going to stumble into heaven someday, but he's not going to get there with the joy and the peace and all of the attributes that God has for us if we grow in grace and in a knowledge of the Lord. He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now, I know you're here tonight. If you're a Christian, you're here and you're fully aware of the fact that you and I are here because of the grace of God and that we have not forgotten that he has cleansed us from our past sins. We have not forgotten that grace is a gift from God we have not forgotten that salvation is the work of the Lord. It is not our attainment. God, help us not to forget all of this that goes in between those two realizations that Peter points out. Because we are Christians and because we know the Lord and because we're going to heaven and because we have tasted of the heavenly gift, let's make every effort to add to our faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly kindness. And the greatest of these is love. May we stand and bow our heads. And Father, we pray for anyone here who might not know you as Lord and Savior. May they not feel, Lord, that my assumption a moment ago was made to in any way camouflage the need in their own heart and their own life for trusting you. If there is someone here, dear Lord, who has never made that commitment, they know that. And you know that and you love them and you want them and you touch them and you speak to them. May they respond to you in these moments as I pray that any will respond who do know you and who are Christians, but who desire to start making some effort to grow and to add to that saving faith some goodness and knowledge and perseverance and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love by becoming a part of a church where we nurture one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and believe in one another. May decisions be made here tonight that will be pleasing to you and beneficial to your people and to your work. In our lives and in this world, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing. And I stand here. And if God